Hi, my name is Alex DeRosa, and I am our family life pastor here at New Life, and I just want to welcome you to service with us today. I know Gabe already did that earlier before worship started, but if you're a first-time guest, I just want to let you know that we're so thankful that you decided to invest some of your morning, some of your day with us. If you've been here twice or more than that, thank you so much for continuing to come back. Right now, we are in part eight of our series called Questions and Answers. And what we've been doing is taking some of the biggest questions that people have had for a very long time, and we've been tackling them, not with our own wisdom, but the wisdom from God. And so we've talked about big things like, who is Jesus, and how does God reveal himself to us? How does he guide us? And is there more to life than this? And we're going to continue that trend today by talking about a question that's kind of been whispered throughout this whole entire series. Back in week one, Pastor Chris shared a quote from Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey has said before that he wishes everyone would get rich and famous to find out that that's not what leads to fulfillment. And then throughout the other messages, we've spoken about how we as people have this desire to live meaningful lives. We want fulfillment. We want purpose. We want things that matter. But when we look to the world for those things, it always leaves us empty. It never makes us whole. And so if we want to be whole, we got to look to God for his answer. So we're going to ask all those questions under this one umbrella. We're going to ask this question, how can I make the most of the rest of my life? We only have so much time on this planet. Maybe we have an hour or we have 100 years or somewhere in between. And if you're like me, I want to make the most of that time. I don't want to get to heaven and see God and look back at things that didn't matter, that seemed important at the time, but won't matter for eternity. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste yours either. I look at times where I feel like they're wasted, and it's like college whenever I would write a paper, then all of a sudden my computer would crash and I hadn't saved the paper. That always felt awful, that time that was wasted. Recently, I got an email from Facebook, and when Facebook emails you, it's generally not a great thing. I got an email and it said, did you request a new password from Philadelphia, PA? And I said, no, uh, because I hadn't. I haven't been to Philadelphia in a while. So I said, no, that, that wasn't me. It's probably someone else trying to like hack into my Facebook. And so it said, all right, we're going to lock your account while we figure this out. I thought, oh, wow. Thanks, Facebook. You got my back trying to, trying to make sure that I'm safe. So the next day I went to go log in. And the first thing I noticed is that usually where my little profile picture is, you know, you have a little preview in the top corner. It was usually a picture of me and my son on a horse when he turned two years old. It wasn't there. It was just blank. And so I tried to log in and it said, your Facebook account has been deactivated. If you want to dispute this, press this button. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Like Facebook, you were trying to help me. Now you've betrayed me. It's like Judas, like Facebook, what are you doing? So I pressed like dispute. I don't know what I was going to say, but I was just disputing. And it said, all right, well, we will look over your account and let you know within like a day, between a 24 hours and seven days or something like that. Well, Facebook got back to me really quick, which was very nice of it. It uh, got back to me in 24 hours and I got this other email and it said, we regret to inform you that your Facebook account has been permanently deleted. Uh, we can't tell you any more reasons why because of security issues, and we want to let you know that this decision is final. Thank you for your understanding. No, I thought that last part was presumptuous, because I still have literally no idea what happened. But I do know that my Facebook, my Instagram were both deleted for some reason. And I'll tell you this, when that first happened, I was a little upset. 
I remembered back whenever I was at Geneva and I literally signed a petition for Geneva to get on the Facebook alongside the other, well, we weren't an Ivy League school, but alongside the Ivy League schools. I remember I had pictures there without a beard and with longer hair, looked so cool. And those are... (laughs) Well, aren't there anymore. I also always loved on my birthday, I would get a bunch of happy birthdays from people. And now I'm thinking, wait a second, like people aren't going to realize what my birthday is. When July 21st comes around, they'll have no idea. And so at first I was a little sad, but then immediately after that, I felt relieved. And I felt like that's kind of weird. So I tried to like think, why, why do I feel relieved? And I realized it was because I have so many wasted hours on Facebook and just social media in general, where there would be times where I was just like mindlessly scrolling and then all of a sudden I go, what just happened? (laughs) That wasn't fulfilling. In the moment it felt fulfilling, but it wasn't afterwards. So even though I might somehow, someday get Facebook back, again, maybe around July 21st so that people know when my birthday is, (laughs) thank you, there's nice happy birthdays. Right now I'm enjoying the time of looking through not only social media, but the rest of my time and saying, When is it wasted and when is it invested in something that matters? Because again, we only got one shot at this and I don't want to waste it. One of the wonderful things we can do is go to God's word. And God's word has so much advice of how to use our time wisely, how to make the most of the rest of our lives. And today we're going to focus in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Tammy just read it before our last song, but we're going to go into it again, again, because this is what the whole message is about. So would you please turn your attention to the screens, or you can open it on your phone, or if you have a Bible with you, it's Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul wrote this to the church in Rome to give him an idea of how to live, and the same words are still true for us today. And so we're going to look at them kind of line by line. We'll be talking about it again throughout this whole message. What I've done is I've taken the main points of it and I've put all of them into our take-home point. This is the one point the message seeks to be made today, and it's all from Romans 12, 1 through 2. And it's this, to make the most of our lives, we must first die, second, refuse to conform, and third, change the way we think. To make the most of our lives, we must die, refuse to conform, and change the way we think. Before we dive into those three things, let us pray. Dear God, right now, I pray that you will be the only voice that we hear. I pray that you'll take away the distractions that stop us from hearing you, and I pray that you'll even move me out of the way and allow it just to be your words. I pray that we will be able to leave here as people who know better how to make the most of the rest of our lives in and through you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So step one, to make the most of our lives, we must embrace our death to this world. Paul, when he was writing to that church in Rome, he would have known that when he used a phrase like living sacrifice, that they would understand what a sacrifice meant. It was either they were pouring out a drink offering or they were giving a grain offering or more than likely 
they were giving an animal up as a sacrifice. And what you would do is you would take the animal that you literally helped raise up and you would kill it and you'd give it to God. You were doing that as a practice in the Jewish customs to not only say, God, please cleanse me of my sins, but also in a way of saying, I'm dedicating myself to you. I'm giving you even the best of my flocks. And it was literally a sacrifice. It was something that was could of rather helped their flock out or helped them um, eat or whatever it was. And instead they were giving it to God. And so when Paul was saying this to us, he means it with that severity. And even more so because it's asking our whole lives, our whole beings, our whole selves to be sacrificed to God. And now when he says living sacrifice, it gives us some good news in there. It doesn't mean that we have to kill the body in order to be the sacrifice, but it is saying that we have to kill the old self, the sinful self, the old being that we were, our whole lives, and say, all of that is offered to you, God. Let me live new. And God's word says that we literally live as new people when this happens. When we go to God, We get to be new creations. Paul clarified this when he wrote to the church in Corinth. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. The wonderful blessing of God is that when we go to him and say, be my Lord and my Savior. We believe in him. We profess him with our mouths. That's not the moment where he crucifies our old self. He did that thousands of years ago on the cross with Jesus. A long time ago, God said he wanted us to have this ability to walk into the freedom and the new life that he has for us. God wants us to be in this relationship with him. And in order to do that, he needed to take away our sinful and our old selves. So he crucified them. And so when we trust in Jesus, we're living into that new person. We're stepping out of the old life, we're leaving it behind, and we're becoming new creations. Sometimes when we talk about the removal of sins that happens when we trust in Jesus, an image conjures in our brain of almost like a car that's dirty and we wash it off, the removal of dirt. But that's not the way that it is. We are not an old self that's cleaned up. We are new It's like getting a brand new car. We are something different now. And so God says, live into that without your sins holding you back, without those sins that hold us in the chains. When we're in those chains, we don't even know it sometimes, but now that we're free, live in freedom. Unfortunately, as people though, sometimes we still go back to those sins. We still go back to those old people. You might be thinking in your head that there's this battle that you fight, that even though you don't want to be angry and flip out, or to steal, or to lie, or to cheat, or whatever it is that you struggle with, you still do it. You still go back and fight it. Sure, you're this new person, but why is the old self still having influence? Well, Paul dealt with this as well, and he talked to us about it, thanks be to God. And he says this in Romans 7, 19 through 20, regarding this idea of being new, but still doing the things of sin. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, Paul wasn't using this as an excuse. He wasn't saying, well, when I mess up, it's just sin. It's not me doing it. What he's simply saying is that when we sin, if we've given our lives over to Jesus, it isn't who we are anymore. We're not defined by our sins or our past mistakes. We are new. But when we do sin, it is allowing that old self back into our lives. 
Watchman Nee, he was this wonderful writer and he's with Jesus now. He wrote books like A Normal Christian Life and The Release of the Spirit. He says it in, in this way, that it's kind of like the old man, a sinful man, the dead man is unemployed, but he's looking for work that he's looking to get back into our lives some way. He wants a job with us, and occasionally we let our guard down and allow him back in. Pastor Barry once shared with me, it's kind of like a zombie. It's been dead and buried, but it fights back up to try to bring us down. And if we're not careful, we allow it control over our lives. So Paul, in helping people understand that it's not our effort that keeps them dead, it's giving our lives over to God that keeps them dead and allowing Jesus to reign supreme, he, or, uh, he writes this, and this is actually not Paul, this is John, one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote it in 1 John. It says, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Now, I've always struggled with this verse, especially compared to the last one, where Paul says, I keep sinning even though I don't want to. And this one clearly says, as new people in Jesus, we no longer sin but it's talking about that new life. I remember this distinctly when I trusted in Jesus for the first time. I was 15 years old. One of the things that was part of my old self was my language. I just cussed all the time. I thought I was this really creative cusser. I sometimes took pride in it. I would cuss at my dad and my teachers and my friends and my video games and all of this stuff. And I just had no real control over it, but that's what I did. And there was this amazing, miraculous point in my life where after I gave my life to Jesus, that was just gone. So much so that people noticed it, that I was different. And it was one of those purposes of God. It was because I was living as this new person. However, when I went to college and I started drifting away from God, I had some things that I was blaming God for. Girlfriend cheated on me and broke up with me. And I, for some reason, blamed God for that. But as I stopped reading God's word and investing time with him, what I was doing was allowing that old man to get work in my life once again. And then it started to show up in the way that I acted and treated people and even talked because I was allowing that old self to have influence over my new self again. Watchman Nee helps me to understand really what this means in his book, The Normal Christian Life. And I, I pray that it's a blessing to you as well. It says, the life of Jesus Christ has been planted in us by new birth and its nature is not to commit sin. But there is a great difference between nature and the history of a thing. And there is a great difference between the nature of the life within us and our history. To illustrate this, though the illustration is an inadequate one, we might say that wood cannot sink, for it is not its nature to do so. But, of course, in history, it will do so if a hand holds it under water. So you think about that, the piece of wood, the plank of wood, if you just throw it in some water, it's going to float. But if you stomp on it or you push it down, it's going to go underwater. Same thing is true in our lives. If we live as the new people that God has created us to live as, we will not sin. But as soon as we allow the world or the enemy or our old self to start pressuring us, that's when it appears. But God says we don't have to live in that anymore. That in truth, we have this freedom that was offered to us by God as these new selves. We get that meaning and that purpose that God designed for us. We get the blessing of understanding how God designed us to live. So if we're new, let's live as new people. So step one is allowing the dead to stay dead. 
Step two, to make the most of our lives, we must refuse to conform to this world. Romans 12 said that we can't copy the world. We should not copy the customs of this world. But it's a temptation for us, for believers in Jesus or or not. There's just a temptation to be a chameleon with people around us. Chameleon is that kind of lizard-like thing that has a super long tail that whenever it's around something, it can kind of fade into the background. It can take on the appearance of the background that's right behind it. And as people, we can have a temptation to do the same thing. When we come to church, no matter what we're feeling or thinking, we know the right words to say if we want to fit in, if we want to copy the customs. We can do so. We can answer with the right things. We know how to act during worship to make people think that we are fitting in, that we are in the same mindset. And then when we go to work, we can do the same thing. We can act, we can talk, we can do the same things as people around us, and we look the same. When we go to school, on our sports teams, whatever it is, we have a knack as people to be able to kind of infuse with what's going on around us. But God says, don't do that. Let's not copy. We weren't created to copy, to mimic what's going on in the world. We weren't meant to copy the walking dead around us. We were meant to live as new, living, different, transformed people. Instead of a chameleon, we're supposed to live like a butterfly that escapes its chrysalis. Take goes out of the cocoon. A couple of months ago, Nancy Marshall, Pastor Chris's wonderful wife, gave us two caterpillars so that our boys and us could kind of see them transform into butterflies. We thought it'd be super cool, and it was. Unfortunately, one of them died, and that was a weird conversation to have with a two and four-year-old. Why is that one not moving anymore? And you're like, ah, it didn't want to be a butterfly. And uh, and so I had to, to remove that. But the other one, survived, and it ended up getting real big And after eating a bunch of leaves, and then it went to the, the ceiling of the container that it was in, and it formed in this chrysalis. And it was so cool as we got to watch it, because as it was in this cocoon, you could see the wings start to sprout and to push against it. And then it broke free, and it was something different, something new. It was a butterfly. And it's cool to think that that butterfly still exists in the same world as the caterpillars, just as believers in Jesus exist in the same world as people who don't believe in Jesus. But there is no mistaking that that butterfly is not a caterpillar anymore. A butterfly can't go on the ground and crawl around and make all the caterpillar friends believe it's a caterpillar. It is something distinctly different and new. And God says that we are to live in that same way that we should be new and different so much so that people start going, what is going on with you? And then we can point them to Jesus. This happened when I was in high school. Before I trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I noticed my friends' lives changing. Sometimes it was small things. Sometimes it was they just had a different preference or they had different priorities, a better way to say it. Or their language changed or their mentality had more peace than they had before. And I started asking, like, what is going on with you? And they would say, it's Jesus. And I'd say, well, I'm going to the same youth group. But like, what's going on with you? They'd say, well, I gave my life over to Jesus. And I started to think about that. But at first, I didn't want to make that commitment because I was looking at the things of my life. And I realized that if I was going to give it over to Jesus, I needed to change. And I didn't want to. I wanted to keep hold of the things that I liked because I thought they identified me as who I was. I thought they gave me purpose and meaning. I thought they made me whole, but they didn't. So I held them on longer than I should have. It reminds me of the book by David Crowder, which says, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. 
For a long time, I thought that meant that no one wants to like physically leave this earth and get to heaven, but I should have just read the book because what it really means is that no one wants to lose the stuff of this world in order to gain the heaven on earth that Jesus talks about. Jesus literally, while he was on this earth, talked about how we can bring the kingdom of heaven to earth through doing things that God has asked us to do and how because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can experience his peace, his joy, his blessings, his miracles on this planet when we give up our lives and we get to save them. But whenever we're thinking of the things of this world before we come to Jesus, sometimes we can think that those are the true treasures, that those things give us life even though it's not true. So what we got to do first, we got to leave the dead dead, and then we got to stop copying, and now to make the most of the rest of our lives, we must change the way we think. Because when we think about those things of the world as our treasure instead of what they really are, the rubbish that's in our lives, we won't fully give ourselves over to God. But once we allow him to transform our minds, we'll start to understand what matters and what doesn't. You see, for me, just being honest with you, as a 15-year-old, it seems like they were con- like inconsequential stuff. It seems like they were little things. But again, I thought that they made up who I was. And I didn't want to stop them. So very specific, like, I don't want to stop lying. Lying got me out of stuff. Now, looking back, I know that living a lie is no fun. But at the time, I didn't want to stop it. I didn't want to stop my swearing. I didn't want to stop stealing things. Didn't steal big things, stole like candy. And I thought I was so cool for doing it. And I didn't want to give that stuff up. But as soon as I did, and I turned to God, I felt this freedom that was truly life. And I look back now, and it felt like I was under Stockholm Syndrome. That's when like the captives fall in love with their captors. They feel like there's this love relationship. I I felt like I loved the sin that I was in. I didn't have the understanding, and I didn't think of things the way God thinks of them. And we have this habit of doing so. Sometimes we get so comfortable in our chains that we don't realize that they're stopping us from living who we were meant to live as. In fact, unless we leave behind the rubbish, we can't enjoy the treasure and freedom God has for us. The good news is God isn't asking us to give up all of the good things. That was my fear. Oh man, God, I don't want to give up the good things in my life. And he's saying, you're not giving up the good things. You're giving up the rubbish, the stuff that's stopping you from living as you were meant to live as. So just let me chisel that stuff out. God loves you. He wants the best for you. He doesn't want the good stuff out. He wants the the stuff that doesn't bring about life out of your life. And so Paul writes to the church in Colossians and gives us, in Colossae rather, in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and gives us some helpful understanding of how do we switch our minds from seeing the world as we do to seeing it as God sees it. So since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. When this is saying, don't think of the things of this world, but think of things of heaven, he's not just thinking, all right, think of like the clouds in the harps. He's saying, think of things that matter to God now and forever. Because that's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about how to change our lives in the abstract, in, in the 
50 years later. We're talking about how do we make the most of today and going forward. And how we do it is we start to shift our minds. If you've ever thought like, hey, I want to be about the stuff that God's word says. I want to be involved in those miracles that God talks about. Pastor Barry referenced it as the stuff last week in the message about the Holy Spirit. If you ever thought, I want to be about that, how do we do that? Well, we get rid of the rubbish so we can allow God to have room to work in our lives and to show us the things he's meant to show us, that he wants to have us experience on this earth. And when our thoughts are focused on what God cares about, he will reveal his plan for our lives to us. And that's ultimately what we want, right? We want a good plan for us. Romans 12, one through two says, God has a good, pleasing, and perfect plan for your life and for mine. There's nothing that we can do to make up a plan that is better than his. He has the best plan for our lives. He wants us to get the most out of today and going forward for all eternity. And how do we do that? Is we give the reins over to him and say, all right, your plan is better. Let me live in it. And practically, how do we do that? Is we start to think of the things of this world as God sees them. We go to God's word and we allow it to influence our decisions and not the world around us. We see through things through the lens of God instead of our own preferences. We say our preferences don't matter compared to God and his desires for us because he's the one that orchestrated life. He knows how to get the most out of every single moment. And so practically what we're going to do right now is we're going to walk through three different things, things that the world values highly, and we're going to look at them through God's eyes and not ours so that the hope is that as we go through every day, we'll be able to do this with everything that we encounter. So the first thing we're going to walk through is marriage. It's so great to know that marriage is a gift from God. In fact, you know that God created both marriage and sex as a gift for us, and he values them so greatly that he wrote a book about them. The Song of Solomon talks about the blessings and the beauty of marriage and how it is supposed to be a gift for us. It's the most romantic view of marriage that is out there because God was the one that designed it. And he gave us his word to help us to understand how to get the most out of marriage. All the way back in Genesis 2.24, he sets it up of how to do it. And then Jesus quotes it, and then Paul affirms it later on. Genesis 2.24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You know, God created pleasure. He's the one that designed it for us. Satan didn't create pleasure. He actually wants to distort and destroy beautiful things, but God wants to give us these beautiful things to get the most out of everything, including marriage. And so what Genesis says is that a man and a woman leave their parents, and they are joined together in this sort of gluing together in this way that they are joined physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, economically, in literally every way they are joined together. And as we experience marriage, if we experience in that way, man and woman coming together, being united as one, we get to experience the blessings as God has designed them to be experienced. And even more than that, we get to experience God and his relationship with us. There's this supernatural thing that happens between us when we get married that God reveals to us how he relates to us. He calls us his bride. So we get to understand him more and live this life. But when we don't take it the way that God views it, when we look at it the way that we want to, we think of marriage and sex in a very casual way or in a distorted way, it leads to hurt and pain, always does, whether it's in ourselves or in our families, our communities or our world. 
Every year at New Life Students, we give a talk about how God's word very clearly says that it's best to wait to have sex until you're married, again, between a man and a woman. We illustrate this using Play-Doh. Now, before your minds go amok on that one, um, what we do is we take two different color Play-Doh and we say it's like a pink or a blue, and then we merge them together and then you kind of like roll them together. And if you've ever done that, you know that now you don't have like a chunk that's blue and a chunk that's pink, right? It's all intermixed. It's like basically a new thing. It's a new color. And we talk about how when we separate that, when we stop it from being what God intended it to be, you break it apart and you have this visual of a broken mismatch to objects. And again, you can't pull the blue perfectly, you can't pull the pink perfectly, it's now mismatched and together. And we say, this is why we hurt when we don't do things the way that God has designed them, when we don't look at it in the way that God has for us. Again, it's a blessing, a gift from him, but when we distort it by our own preferences or our own thoughts, we don't experience the blessings truly and how God designed them to be experienced. Now, I'm not saying that one or these next two examples at any point to guilt you, to make you feel bad if you haven't followed God's plan for your life through marriage. But I am saying that God wants to forgive you of those things, to start you new today, to leave the dead dead so you can experience the blessings from this day forward to make the most going forward of your, the rest of your life, including with marriage. Second thing we're going to look at is money. Money's a wonderful thing. So there's so many things we can do with money. However, God's word is very clear. If our number one ambition is money, it's a bad ambition. It's not a good one. However, if it's a second or a tertiary or a farther down priority on our list, it can be a good one. For instance, if our goal is to help fund the research for a cure of a disease or our money is to help with the poor or just to help those in need, what a wonderful, what an excellent ambition we can have. If we're serving people for God to show them the love of God and we're using money as an avenue to do that, what a great thing. But it's changing the way we think of money and the priority it has in our lives. Another thing we can look at is popularity. If our goal is just to be popular, to have as many friends as possible, you're just watching that Facebook counter, how many friends you have. Right now, I have zero. Um, and I'm sorry that I just cost a lot of you one. Uh, my bad. Um, if our goal is to have so many friends just for friends' sake, just to be popular, not a great ambition. But if our goal is to know a lot of people so we can be in the spheres of influence of Christians and non-believers, what an amazing goal, because we can show them Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. How does that happen? What happens when we're a new creation? And when they see us as a new creation, living in the kingdom of heaven as God designed us to live in, they'll see Jesus in us. They'll see him moving in us. So how do we do that? We get around non-believers. So if your goal, again, is to get around people, to show them Jesus, what an amazing ambition. And we can do that with everything in our lives. We can walk through it and say, God, how do you see this? But it starts with us identifying and understanding that we were created and meant to be a living sacrifice for God. We weren't created for people to sacrifice to us. We weren't created to be worshiped and we weren't created to worship people. My wife pointed out the other day that everyone that tries to set themselves up as an idol to be worshiped never succeeds. They always crash and burn. It's usually an ugly end. Why? Because we weren't created to worship people. We weren't created to be worshiped. 
We were designed to be a living sacrifice for God. And when we do that, and we allow the dead to be dead, and we change our mind to think of the things of God, and we stop copying the world and live as new creations, we get to understand how to make the most of every single moment today and going forward. So practically, what can we do from here? Well, we can go to God and say, God, reveal to me the rubbish in my life that needs to be taken out, the stuff that maybe I'm comfortable with, the stuff that I've been tricked into thinking that it gives me purpose or identity. Bring it to the surface and take it out of my life so I can truly live in the meeting and purpose that you have for me. And I'll tell you that some of that process isn't fun on the onset. It's a refining process. But let's remember, God wants the best for us. He has this good, pleasing, and perfect plan that he wants to see in our lives. And some of it does take, hey, him ripping stuff out, but he won't rip the good, he'll rip the rubbish. And then we'll get to live and dwell as he really created us to live and dwell. But we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. Again, Pastor Barry talked at length about him last week. And if you miss it, I encourage you to go back and watch. But we can go and say, Holy Spirit, please reveal these things and give me the strength to get them out of my life. And as we do that, we'll be able to live into this new person, brand new person that God created us to live in. And so let's do that this week, and we can do it through our next step, which is I will ask God to remove rubbish from my life so others can see Jesus in me. Start wa- stop wasting time and start investing it in things that matter. Recently, I was talking to a friend of mine And he was talking about how he doesn't believe in Jesus. And he says, but my life's pretty good. I don't really know that I need something. And I was thinking about Facebook. Because I was like, yeah, sometimes when I'm scrolling through Facebook, I don't think I need anything either. I think this is fine until I step away. And for him, if he would just step away, he would understand what is missing in his life is that relationship with God. Because that's who we were created to be in relationship with who we were created to be, to be that living sacrifice for God. And if you're here today and you're saying, I don't have that relationship, but I want to live a life of meaning and purpose, here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, and C. A, meaning we admit. We admit to God that we are a sinner and that we need Jesus as our Savior, our rescuer from sin and death. We need to be made new. We need that old man to die so we can live new. We be, we believe. We believe in Jesus as our Lord, our owner, our master, our God, and our savior, our rescuer from sin and death. And then see, we confess Jesus as our savior and Lord. We commit to following him with the power, not on our own, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And through doing that, we will gain this ability to live life, not just in the future, but today, and then every day into the future. This is a practical thing for right now that will impact our eternity forever. If you've never given your life over to Jesus, I'm telling you, it's worth it. Every bit of it is worth it. That experience of living life, it was meant to be lived. So right now, we're gonna pray. We're gonna give an opportunity if you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, Lord. You've never said, all right, take the ownership. I'm gonna be this living sacrifice. Take my life out of my hands and give me a new life. We're gonna ask him to come into our lives. So right now, would you please pray with me? Dear God, I pray that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that right now, they will say this prayer with me. They'll say it with their own heart and their own mind, their own words. They'll say, dear God, I believe you are the one true God and that your son came to this earth for me to die and arise again, to defeat sin and death. 
I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new right now. I pray that as you make me new, that you'll make me feel that, that new life that you have for me. And Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me live. Control my thoughts, my every move. I pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, I pray for all of us. As right now, even you're bringing up to some of the surface, some of the things in our lives that need to be removed. God, I pray that you'll give us the strength to hand them over to you. Remind us of that promise that you want that good, pleasing, perfect plan for our lives. When we give this stuff over that isn't good, that we get to live the life you have for us, God. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.